Good morning. Mark chapter 3. Open your Bibles there if you brought them with you. Turn your tablets there. Turn on your phone. I never thought I'd say that in church. But put it on silent. Chapter 3. Let's just look at some verses. We'll walk through this chapter, but I want to start with a few. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out, and the top word in Mark, what's the next word? What's the next word? And immediately plotted with the Herodians against him that they might destroy him. And we'll continue in this narrative today as we're walking through Mark this summer. I'm loving this study. This is the fourth study, and we'll walk through this for a while. I can't believe that next weekend is July 1st. Can y'all believe that? And that, if you look at the calendar, you're looking for breaks, it might mean that come next Sunday into the next week, it might be a short work week for you, and everybody went. Woohoo! Yeah, somebody was excited. The rest of you were like, whatever. Well, this morning, we're looking at Mark, and we're just walking through the gospel this summer. And so whatever I come to, man, that's what we cover. And sometimes you'll be like, man, I can't believe you talked about that. Well, it was right there in the text, and we're walking through expositionally. So just open your uh, Bibles there so we can look together. He enters the synagogue again. This, this man with a withered, dried, crippled hand. And Jesus tells him to stretch it out, and he does. And Jesus heals him. He restores it. Now, that is a big deal. How many would agree? I mean, you walk in crippled and you walk out whole. I'm going, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to praise him. He must be the one with the power. He must be God himself. And so in this section, I just want you to go ahead and write in here, uh, there in verse 1, the shriveled hand, okay? Will you stand publicly? Will you stand publicly? And I'll talk about that in a minute, but I just want to go ahead and make sure I fill in that blank because sometimes I get so excited about the text, I forget to fill in the blanks, but I think they always redeem me because I think they throw stuff up behind me just like, hey, he missed the point. So here's what's happening. The Jews are all caught up on ritual, on rules, on regulations, on law, and they somehow put law above everything else, especially the, the care and the love for humanity and the love for this man that desperately needed something and and sometimes people were about to die like, hey, you can't do anything on the sabbath and here you know you you know that one scripture talks about hey would you leave the ox in the ditch or would you help him get his ox out of the ditch i am so glad today in 2018 that we do not live in a day where so everybody is so legalistic that they couldn't lift up a hand or they couldn't do anything as i was studying this week talking about the miracle of the man when he stretched out his hand over in the book of Leviticus, I think about the 21st chapter, maybe verse 18 or so, if the people had defects, if they had disabilities, if they had any number of things, they were not allowed to come into the temple and have the bread. Now, can you imagine today, if that was the law for us, we couldn't come to God's house if we had a defect. And how many of you would go, man, I don't guess I would be here. 
And I'm so I started thinking about this text about four o'clock this morning. I've been chewing on all week, and I said, God, I get to go to the house of the Lord, and I can come in with my defects and my blemishes because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is good news, church. You're going. Well, I'm a little cripple of foot. I'm a little cripple of hand. I'm a little cripple of tongue. I've told you this before. I used to be seriously crippled of tongue and could not speak till I was five years old. And some of you said, he healed you. And, I, and my dad said, you have not shut up, son, since you started talking. Seriously, it's the truth. I would crawl under the bed when people came to our house that I might not confront them and be expected to utter speech. They went in, they had this process called clipping my tongue. They clipped my tongue that I might talk. In the first few years of, of school, I got to go to class like everybody else, but then I got to go to special classes to learn how to speak and how to enunciate English language. You think that's funny, yeah. How many of you are glad that I learned how to talk? How many of you wished I hadn't learned how to talk? Yeah, you, I know I got some enemies in the house. Well, I'm grateful for that. Loosen my tongue. Okay, so here it is, shriveled hand. And here, here's this thing. So there's this big debate going on because there are even some scholars say maybe, maybe because Jesus had the propensity to do good, to heal, maybe they planted the withered hand man in the place so they could catch Jesus. <laughs> and as I thought about that, there might be some real truth in that. They really didn't care about the soul or about the man. They just wanted to get rid of this religious rabbi named Jesus. They were so worried about the law. But you know what I find amazing? Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> Did they not read that one? They killed Jesus. They put Jesus away. And yet they were so hung about, hey, you got the ox out of the ditch. Hey, you healed the withered man. Hey, you did this, Jesus. You shouldn't do those things. It's just, it's just kind of ironic that that happens. But he stretches out his hand. And Jesus, I, I want you to write down this statement. This is a great statement. Jesus' commandments are always Jesus' enablements. Jesus' commandments to us are always Jesus' enablements that he allows us to do through his power, through the Holy Spirit. And if Christ has called us to do something, if he's commanded us to do something, then we're enabled by the power of the Most High God to carry it out. I'm so grateful for that. There is always power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the command of Jesus. And we'll see today that he calls forth, he appoints the 12 apostles, and he empowers them. But I don't want to get too far ahead of the text as we're looking here together. So we're looking at this, we're seeing this man stretched out in tough shape, but he gets a healing. And we see in this gospel, we will see a number of recorded miracles of Jesus. And here's what I've learned after reading scriptures as a Christ follower for 40 years plus. I never get tired of reading about the miracles of Jesus. I certainly don't ever get tired about hearing about your miracles, the miracles of Jesus in your life. I wish there were more miracles. We'll even read today about demons, and I, I don't get excited about demons, okay? And you really see the demonic activity picks up in the New Testament that we find ourselves in, and especially around the ministry of Jesus, because they wanted to come against him, the, the forces of darkness, but we'll, we'll get there. So who is this man? He's God. 
He's the son of the living God. He comes to change. And here they are, the, these towns around the, the shoreline of the Lake of Galilee, you know, 13 miles long, seven miles wide, and all these little villages and all these little other little towns would come and hundreds and thousands would gather and these people would push into Jesus and he would have to be pushed out in the boat out to not get uh, squashed by the people, if you would. And they were always marveling at this miracle worker, this one that spoke the words of life. And, and today, oh, I pray that today we still marvel when Jesus speaks and the church said, Oh, I hope you marvel when Jesus speaks to you. You're saying, he speaks? Oh, he speaks. He speaks in, to your spirit. He speaks through his living word. Oh, I, I beg you almost every weekend to, to pick up this book and to start reading it and, and get a new appetite and a hunger for it and ask God to teach you and to be the resident teacher in your life and, be, and get into a study or a small group this summer and the end of August when we start again. That's a great place. But here's Jesus. The long-awaited Messiah. And every weekend, we'll just keep coming by, back to him and lifting him high up, as Mark does in his gospel. But here, the first one, he just does it to this man, this cripple. But let's move down to the next one here, because people were always watching Jesus. And, uh, and the other thing I'd say, look, look here with me here. So the crowds follow Jesus, okay? The crowds are following after Jesus, right? And in this, Jesus attracted masses, and he was adorned by many. I told you, I think, last weekend or the weekend before, probably every weekend when we read the Gospels, you always see that when Jesus shows up, usually there's a crowd. He was just popular. And he was hated, and he was loved, and he was followed. And I pray we're in that camp that we're followers. But they, they adorned, they, they, they were excited about him. They, they, they wanted to know him. They, they wanted to maybe follow after him. And here in this, look at verse 7. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude, there's that crowd from Galilee, they followed him from Judea, Jerusalem, Aduma. Uh, that Aduma there, I think that's the house of, uh, Herod, of uh, Herod, the, the, the little village he's from. And beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. So he told his disciples, that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude list, they should crush him. Now, let's put it in our vernacular in 2018. They would have said, hey, Jesus, we got a car running. If you need it, we'll take off. Okay, I thought that was funny. Maybe you didn't. Okay, but it didn't really fit there because they were out on the sea, needed a boat, but I think you see the point. All right, all right. If we were in two services, I would not tell that one again. That one went over like... You know, you know that, that's the only thing I miss about two services. You know, you're up here, you're preaching your heart out, you're inspired, people connect, it's awesome. And then sometimes God does something, you're like, help me remember that next service. And when it bombs, you go, thank you, God. May the people of God not remember what I said. And then we'll get on to something interesting. See, I'm, already, I'm belaboring the point, but you know, you see what I'm doing. I think that's why I sweat so much up here because it's, hey, chaplain, is it not tough when you speak in front of crowds and lights and people and the pressure's on and they want to know, do you have something to say that's worthy of my time? Hey, did I tell you about the, the, the translator that I heard about? I've had translators all over the world preaching the gospel and sometimes they have my inflection and my energy and my passion and I love working with them and sometimes they're just kind of kind of dead <laughs> and no energy. And one time I heard about the guy, the guy... Oh, you don't turn that fan on, aren't you? We forgot today. And, and, and he, was, he was up there preaching his heart out. 
And he noticed the translator wouldn't say anything. And he said some more lines, and he paused. And then he said some more, and he paused. And he said some more, and paused. And he finally, he turned to him and said, hey, uh, are you going to translate? He says, and he said one line. He's, and this is what he told the people. When this guy says something worth hearing, then I'm going to start translating, okay? Now, that's a little scary. And I've often wondered when I'm in another country, you know, like, I don't know what he said, but I'm trusting that he said what God had given me to tell. I don't know. Thank you so much, Chuck. Bless you. Okay, so here's all this increase of activity. And Jesus, as we're reading here in the, in, in, in the verses, they're gathering around him. And he heals, look at verse 10, for he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out saying, you are the son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Now, I want us to stop and just pause for a moment. Can you imagine being so popular that everybody wants to touch you? Some of you are like, Oh, Keith, you should live in my world. It happens all the time. Liar. And you know what I noticed last night? I'm a hugger, and I hug a lot of people or give handshakes or stuff. But last night, the biscuit game, it was kind of neat. I noticed when we saw one another, we went, it's too hot to hug. Let's do not touch. Let's just look at one another and go, uh-huh. Except, let me tell you what they've got. They've got the coolest thing, the biscuits game. I, I think I need one here at the church, and I think we need one in the kids' area, in the student ministry, and everywhere on this campus. They have this uh, contraption. Contraption. It's really cool. It's like this big barrel thing. It's got a big fan, and it mists, and it blows all this just force of air, and it's cool and refreshing. And last night, if you ask our kids how good was the game, they would, they would say this. What game? They all gathered around the bathroom where this machine was, and it just kind of overtook us. It was amazing. But here's what I'm saying to you. These people were always pressing in to touch Jesus. You know, today he's not here in physical form, but he is here. He is alive. Isn't that what the song said? He is here for us. He is alive. He is here now. And he wants to touch you today. He wants to come near. Allow him that. But move on. Verse 13. He went up on the mountain. So, so he gets away from the sea, and he goes to the mountain. And he called to those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him, and then he appointed 12, that they might be with him, and they might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. And then in verse 16, following, he begins to delineate, he begins to address who these 12 apostles are. But as he looks at this, he, he chooses 12. You notice he didn't choose 11. He didn't choose 13, he didn't choose 6, he didn't choose 22, he chose 12. And there's a lot of reason, and a lot of people wonder why, maybe it was for the 12 tribes, maybe that's why it was, maybe it was the number of government, uh, the, the scripture talks about 12 gates in heaven and all that, maybe it was the 12 gates, maybe 12, I know 3 is a special number to God, but here it's 12. And he appoints these 12. And when Jesus appoints these 12 that we read about, and they're all listed, I even put them right here in, in your notes today, names that we usually don't name our kids today. Some of them we do. And these guys didn't, were not extraordinary. They weren't of necessarily brilliant mind, but they were maybe okay. They were just common, ordinary people. And I love who Jesus chose because had it just been the elite of the day, we would have probably all said, I might not fit in. I might not fit the mold. I might not be able to follow God. I can't connect with him. 
But he chooses these 12, and these 12 have their own sets of issues, if you will. He appoints them. He ordains them. It depends on which translation you're reading. You will see different words there. I don't know if you've already noticed today as I've been reading this, it might be a little different. I got this new Bible this week that came in. And I, I memorized the NIV over the decades, and then I started reading extensively NLT, and I read New American and all this, and you study Hebrew and Greek. But I got a Bible I never thought I would get, but there was this thing. It, it's, it's this study Bible, these key words, and it's the New King James Version. And I just really was intrigued with it. So probably for a season, if it sounds a little different, I'm, I'm going to read out of this. Is this okay with you? I'm going to read you God's word, and I want you to read it, and it's going to be so close. So he begins to use these words, and I want to show you. So he calls them uh, to preach. He calls them to be witnesses. He calls them to be ambassadors. There's a time of preparation, but Jesus appoints. Jesus ordains. Jesus initiates. Jesus does it. He calls forth these 12. These 12, Jesus Christ leaves his reputation up to them. That's a little scary. You know who Jesus leaves his reputation up to today? us the church of the living christ we are his witnesses turn to the person next to you and go we are his no turn to the person next to you and say i am his witness turn to him and tell him did you convince anybody <laughs> that was well there's nobody sitting next to you brother oh you turned around okay i i, I was sitting there like well maybe that's why they're not convinced and they're not convinced here. We should fill these chairs up. Okay. <laughs> that was funny. All right, let's keep going. So here is, he appoints. Now, let, let's begin to look at them. And I'm just going to give you a little stuff. And you can make a little smiley face or a sad face. Or you can write a note. Or you can just go, I, I love you guys and gals. They're so intuitive. And you have never picked up a pen under the teaching of Pastor Keith. You sit there with your astute mind. And you, you nod and you look at me with great intellect okay there's a test for you on the way out today I, I have people taking notes right now and we're gonna see no I'm just kidding you probably remember more than us that right here Simon who is Simon who is Simon Peter right above that it's Peter and in the Hebrew and in the Greek basically it means he's a rock he's a stone Jesus changes his name here he's the leader of the group Peter's the rock he's Cephas He's a fisherman, for crying out loud. He's outspoken. He's opinionated. How many of you like Peter? Okay, the rest of you aren't opinionated. Okay, let's do this. This will be fun. This will split the church. This will be awesome. How many of you, and if they don't raise their hand, help them. How many in this room are opinionated? Raise your hand. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, awesome. No wonder we have a hard time around here. A bunch of opinionated folks I talked to but Jesus, he loves opinionated people. Somebody went, oh, man, that's so good. Because he loves me. And boy, did he use Peter. Man, did he use Peter. So he appoints him. Look at the next one there. It's James. He's a fisherman. He's a member of the Lord's inner circle. He's kind of a special guy here. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, you know, he does different things, but he's a, he's a, he's definitely, we read from scripture. He is a tremendous leader in the early church and God uses him in a significant way. So there's James and he was the first of the apostles. We understand to be the, put to death for being a witness for Jesus Christ. James, let's continue to go here. John. Oh man. Love John. Write it down. 
beloved disciple. How would you like that nickname? That's pretty cool. But how would many of you would like to hear that? Oh, Jesus' pet. Jesus loved him. Hey, how many of you have ever told your, your mom, she's your favorite? He's your favorite. And our girls have always done that. We go, yes, you're our favorite that year old, and you're our favorite that year old. And they go, oh. And then my youngest sometimes will come up to me and she'll say, oh, but dad, I'm your favorite, right? I go, you're my favorite right now in my presence. I ain't falling for that. I got two girls. I love both of them tremendously. And how, mu- how much do you love your kids? Oh, okay. And do you have favorites? If you do, don't declare it right now. Okay, that, that, could, be, that, could, be, that could be tough. So here's, so John, beloved disciple, influence of the early church, persecuted in prison, banished to a desert island. Patmos, we get the book of Revelation, the Revelator, just a really cool guy. Also, he's known here as a son of thunder. Don't you, I just... I wish that was my nickname, Man of Thunder. That is, that is just awesome. Preacher of Thunder, when he speaks, God just speaks through his voice. That would be kind of sick if I walked around with a God voice all the time. But, you know, these people on radio sometimes, every once in a while, there'll be somebody on the radio that has a signature distinctive voice. And I go, oh, God, why did you not give me that voice when I was learning to speak? I would mesmerize myself. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I just put, you know what I really wanted to do? This is, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but I will. This is what I wanted to do. I wished I had studied and take, put the time in to learn the piano. You don't know how bad this pastor just wants to walk over to the piano and start playing and preaching. I just think that would be awesome. But you know what God did? He gave me a son-in-law that can do that. And he can play with the best and with gifts and graces, and I'm grateful for that. I never told you this publicly, but when he was dating my, my daughter there, Rachel, his wife, they were quite smug. He was in love. He called us the first Christmas. He had to go back home to family, back to Canada. And he called one Christmas, it was a Christmas season. And he played the piano for one hour all the Christmas songs of the season. I thought it was because he loved Donna and me so much. I learned that he was pursuing our little girl's heart. But he got her dad's heart in the process. I thought that was a good gift, good gift. Hey, Jeremy, you can try that again sometime if you want to. Okay, here we go. All right, let's, let's keep moving. Here we go. Andrew. Oh, I love Andrew, the brother of Peter. But here's what I want you to write about Andrew. Every time we see Andrew, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Oh, I wish we had a church of Andrews, don't you? I wish you were an Andrew or an Andrewette. I just made that up. That's a girl's name, okay? You ever known people that they, I I had this guy, uh, his daughter was in our youth group, and I met her one time, I said, what's your name? She says, Georgette. And without speaking, I said, Georgette. (laughs) Yeah, she says, my dad wanted a boy, but he named me George. Sweet little girl. Love that little kid. So here it is. Andrew. Andrew bringing somebody to Jesus. Philip, not known much about him, but he goes to Nathaniel. He goes to Bartholomew. He's known as Nathaniel. He seems to have been a man with some issues with prejudice. Bartholomew is. Matthew. We talked about Matthew last week. Levi. He's what? Matthew's a tax collector. We didn't speak so highly of him in the first part. But the Lord called him. The Lord changed him. The Lord 
empowered him. The Lord used him. The Lord gives us a gospel through Matthew. Matthew was significant. Then there was Thomas. Oh, I love Thomas. That is my name. My name is Thomas. Thomas Keith. And when people call me and they go, may I speak to Thomas? I go, they have no clue who they're talking to. Yesterday I was talking to somebody, uh, somebody about a, something tore up, and they said, and may I call you Thomas? I go, and you might. It sounds so formal. It might not call you Thomas. Don't you call me Thomas. I don't even know who Thomas is, you know, like Thomas who? But when we read in Scripture about Thomas, he's a doubter. He's, he's skeptical, and maybe we've been there. But he's the only disciple that probably doesn't cower in fear. And he follows, and he's loyal, and he goes after Jesus. And there's James, the son of Alphaeus. Nothing's really known about this man. We know that his mother was at the cross. You're saying, you're talking about obscure, insignificant. That's probably James, the son of Alphaeus. Not much said. Thaddeus. I did a lot of research on him. I don't think anything's known about that disciple. <laughs> but he got picked to be one of the 12. So when you get to heaven, I have a suggestion. Why don't you go up to him and say, what did you do? How did you get in? Maybe because they just had so much character and were simple. Then there was Simon. Did I say Thaddeus? I did. Simon the Canaanite. It means zealous one. Revolutionary. Proud. Radical. Outspoken. Fiery. Passionate. Pretty good guy. And then, and then, last but not least, we find Judas. Judas, don't name your kid Judas. It ain't going well for you. Judas Iscariot, he's the treasurer. He's the CPA in the group. And, you know, that's not bad. I mean, that was good. And Jesus called him, and Jesus loved him, and Jesus had something for him. But he is the one that we read in the Gospels. That just betrays Jesus. But he is chosen. He is appointed to be a witness. And these 12, as we look at them, and I just think about their lives and what they mean and the success of these guys and what they're able to do in their lives. And yet, when we read our Bibles, we always see the 12 apostles, and there's only 12 apostles here that we read about, and then he, disciples, and we're disciples today of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Test, test. Yeah. No. All right, we're back. Man, it was going so well. All right, who was praying that I would quit speaking? Man, it worked. Let's have a closing prayer and go home. I think I've done enough. No, nah, I'm teasing. We're not going home. Okay, let's keep going here. So here, let's, let's move down here. So the appointment, look at 3, 20 through 30, middle of the page. Jesus and Beelzebub here means Lord of filth. Lord of filth, and a house is divided against itself. That house cannot stand. Here's just another name for, for Satan himself. Not a good thing here. Here in, in this section of Scripture, and I won't read it all to you, but when you read through there, some are going against Jesus as there always seem to be in opposition, and there's some, maybe there's a mental disorder, maybe, we don't know, maybe he claims to be the Messiah. You know, he says he forgives sins, he raises the dead, he heals the sick. We don't know. And then, then there's a popular writer that we've read through the years, C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has a phrase that we all learn pretty early in our walk with Jesus who Jesus is, and he is either lunatic, he's either a liar, or he's Lord, and he is Lord, and the church said. And C.S. Lewis, 
defends the gospel like hardly anyone. Just a, a great writer. Then another modern day was Josh McDowell. And he wrote a book one time called A Ready Defense. And he would propagate, uh, it's called apologetics in the theological world, but he would propagate the gospel. He would advance it. And he would, would teach these great truths of the gospel. And, and then he comes on to say, and if only, like he is not a misfit. He is not mentally disturbed. If only, uh, Josh says, if, if only we were as sane as Jesus. <laughs> if only we had the mind of him. And the scripture teaches that we have the mind of Christ if we're in Christ. How many are excited about having the mind of Jesus this morning? And you know what you do? You renew that mind through your daily walk with God. As you take in God's word and you begin to see what he says. And in John 20, 31, right down this passage, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. By believing, you'll have life in the name of Christ, this powerful one. So there's all this accusation against him, and there's all this demonic activity. But let's, let's look down here in chapter 3 there. Move down there to me, verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Oh, guys, I could speak on this first probably for days. A marriage divided against itself, it, it falls. Relationships are divided, they fall. Countries that are divided, they crumble. Churches that divide, they don't make it. We can't divide ourselves. We, we've got to find unity in the bond of peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we move on, and yet there's all this... Uh, suspicion, there's all this hatred, there's all this opposition to Christ all through the word that we see. There's so many that love him, adore him, and magnify and lift him high. And there's others that are the religious people of the day, the sects and the leaders, and, and, and they lift up themselves, and they go against this Christ. They go against our Jesus, and we, we get irritated as believers. And, and so move on with it. He, he, uh, another name here is we're looking at this thing about Satan. It would be called, he would be called the God of this age, the prince of the power of air. He, he holds influence and he holds control. I don't totally understand that, but I do know that God allowed him to rule and reign and have dominion for a season. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when we submit and surrender to Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. We are overcomers in Jesus Christ. Amen? That is awesome news, man. We are not under him and controlled by Satan when we say yes to Christ and we submit to Christ on a day-by-day day and daily and hourly basis. And yet there is great uh, infiltration against us. But let's move on here. So he talks about the house rising up in, in verse 26. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he has an end. Verse 27, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house or ransack it. But look at verse 28. This is one that I would not pick to preach on on a Sunday morning. I mean, I, mean, I would. I, I've taught on it over the years. But yet this is a text that we find as unpardonable sin. And every once in a while, I haven't been asked this in a while. I used to ask this a lot as a student pastor. Kids would ask me, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Am I dying and going to hell? And they wanted to know, basically, could I get away with this and go to heaven? Like, well, that, that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong view of grace. And, uh, man, you're asking the wrong questions. But then others would seriously want to know, will God receive me? Has God banished me from his presence? Has God rejected me forever? 
But whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? I mean, that's awesome news here. And so there, and look at, look at him here, verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies, blasphemes they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. And in this section here, it's interesting that God imparts to us faith. God pursues us. He woos us. He calls us to himself to know him. And God is active, and he chases us, and he loves us, and God initiates. And you didn't save yourself, and you didn't call yourself. God called you to himself in Christ. God chose you. How many of you are glad that God chose you? Amen. This is, this is good news. And yet, some people are concerned like, man, but I'm rejecting the Holy Spirit. I'm refusing the Holy Spirit's invitation. Now, then you're getting into dangerous territory here at this point. And what I'm saying is, if you're worried about, this is the way I view this. If you worry that you've committed this sin, and yet you are concerned about your soul, and you want to know God, I don't think you've committed that sin. I, I think there, there's an opportunity to receive grace, to be covered by the blood of Christ. It's when your heart gets so calloused and so hard and you don't want anything of God and you don't want the Holy Spirit to convict you and you're not willing to receive the goodness and the mercy. Did you hear that song that Caitlin sang about beautifully? We wrote about it in the worship God, Mercy. Mercy triumphs judgment. Man, she sang about that this morning in a powerful way. And that's what I love about our God. Our God is for us. He's not against us, and he's after us, and he pursues us, and he, he wants us to know him, and he wants us to know him better. That, that's why I come every weekend. I want you to know Christ, and I want you to know him better than you knew him last week or last year. I want you to know him in his fullness because one day you are going to stand before his throne. He's going to say, did you know me? And you're going, yes, I knew you, Jesus. And he goes, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But here's the thing. When you ignore the gospel, when you reject the gospel, when you reject the Holy Spirit over and over and over, then you're on a slippery slope. Here's what I've learned as a pastor. Sometimes people will wait, a lot of times they wait, until people are on their deathbed. And they go, Pastor, Pastor, please, please go by and see mom, go by and see dad, go see my uncle, go see my friend, go see my boss, go see, oh, please go see this person. And sometimes I go in there and they're all hooked up to machines and they're comatose and so sad. And other times I go in and they're just laying in the bed and they're not doing well and they're not long for this life, but they're just kind of crusty and cantankerous and hard. Do you know anybody like that? And they go, pastor, save them. Save them, Pastor. I'm like, well, I ain't saved anybody. And I've walked in those rooms, and I've seen God's grace warm some hearts. But I've also seen this. They pushed Christ away so long and so hard, and their heart is so hard and stubborn. And they'll try to give me 42,000 reasons why they don't need him or he won't receive them. And that's such a sad place to be that you've pushed away the grace of Jesus. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Amen? And while he calls us, we, we draw near. 
And you're saying, man, you've got kind of passion about that. Because I just want us to understand it. Look at, look at verse 31. Jesus' mother and brother, his true family, are those who hear and obey his words. Now, this right here, this gets people upset sometimes. I've seen people actually fight over this one. And sometimes people will say, is Jesus saying, don't like your mom and dad, don't love them? No. Is this verse saying, when you read through this in context, is Jesus saying he's not for family, he's against family? No, Jesus is for family. He created family. But he says he's above all. He said he should be the priority. I think I even wrote this right here, didn't I? That spiritual relationships, circle the word priority in your worship guide. They take priority over our human relationships. Yes, they even trump, they even are above family relationships, the relationship with Jesus. My good friend Tommy was just in India on about his third gospel trip. And he sent me a video. And he says, you got to see this. They, they've got this ministry to thousands of kids that are coming to Bible clubs and camps. And they're turning from false gods to the living Christ. And when they do, so many of them are being rejected by their families. And the villages are having to start maybe take them in and care for them. They, they pay a price for following Jesus. I'd say we probably haven't had to do that. Maybe, maybe when you started following Christ, maybe you were rejected by your family. I've certainly met people like that. They decided that Christ was above all, that he was Lord, and their family pushed him aside. But Christ demonstrates his love for us. And, 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 and you've probably heard this expression, blood is thicker than water. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that must be in the Bible somewhere. No, it's not. But here's what I know. Kinship, relationship with God is stronger than your earthly relationships. Our connection with him, it's, it's above all. It should be above all. It's the highest relationship that God gives us in this life is to know him, to be connected to our Father. Man, God, thank you that we have that. And, and as it looks here, Jesus calls us to know him. But look there in verse 31. And then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude, there is a multitude, or your translation probably says crowd, was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother, your brothers, they're outside, they're seeking you. And when, when somebody comes to you and they go, Your mom, your dad's here, what do you do? What do you do? What do you say? Oh, oh, oh Lord, okay. Or here's the other thing. Teenagers, they run. They hide. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna. Or obedient kids, they run to their foes because, I mean, my mom's here. My dad's here. I mean, I mean, you don't have to say this out loud, and, but uh, all the older people that are older than 25, okay? Do you remember when your mom or your dad came to pick you up and somebody came into the gym or they came into the school or, or the church and said, hey, your mom's here, your dad's here, and you ignored them? Because you weren't through with your business. Well, here they're like, man, hey, Jesus, here they are. Here, here's your family. They're here. But it's interesting. Look at verse 33. But he answered them saying, who is my mother and my brothers? <laughs> what an odd question, but it makes sense. And he looked around in a circle at those who said about him, the ones that were close. He says, but here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my, my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of God. You know, that's the ones that God is closest to. That's the ones that he died for. That's the ones that he calls to himself. And he loves earthly relationships. And I, I love the mother, father, grandfather, grandmother, 
all these relationships we have, they're, man, they're amazing, and they're to be celebrated, and we, we bless God for them, don't we, church? Wait a minute. We bless God, don't we, church? Absolutely. They're tremendous. But we have to remember, but God's highest relationship is our relationship with him. And in those special relationships we have inside the church of Jesus Christ. Did you know this is your family? Yeah. This is your faith family. This is the ones you worship with on this side of glory. Man, they're special to you. Gloria knows. She didn't, she didn't miss a beat. She went, yes. Just a year ago, the Lord Jesus called David home. And it, just the other day when she had her diagnosis, you know who was immediately there? Debbie. You know who's sitting with her right now? Debbie. Debbie's her sister. You're saying, oh, yeah, well, I know. You're going to be a spiritual sister in Christ. She is. Her earthly sister was here yesterday. But look who sits here today, her spiritual sister. Guess who will sit with her in the weeks to come? Her spiritual sisters. Man, I love the family of God, don't you? Man, when we celebrate, hey, uh, when Parker passes test tomorrow, we ought to all go sit with him. We ought to all go sit with him when he takes his test tomorrow. Wouldn't that be fun? We just all go down to drivers. Can you imagine your church showing up tomorrow? What are you doing? We're here to see Parker Whittle. He's taking his test. Parker, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Y'all don't do that, okay? <laughs> I might show up, though. That is a thought. Okay, here we go. All right. All right, let's keep going here. So here's this thing, these relationships. And let me, let me land this plane because it is time for you to go and for me to be through. Man, I could go and go and go. I, I want to give you these marks that identify you're a child of God because maybe today you, you were concerned or you want to know or you want to affirm, you want to celebrate, you want to declare your faith in Jesus. So look at point A with me. This is good. Because I think these marks help you rest. I hope they give you assurance. I hope they give you confidence that you're his. And they all are the word mark. The first one is the birthmark. We have the birthmark. And those that have been born again, they're born of the Spirit. Here's the Scripture. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. And how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. But Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be, wait a minute, you must be born again. And the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So here it is. It's, it's the birthmark. You're a child of God. You've been marked by him. You've been sealed by him. You've been given the promised Holy Spirit. He guarantees you. Man, that, that's a good one. Let's, let's move on. The next one is the bookmark. You know what the bookmark means? You get a love for the Word of God. I always am concerned if somebody tells me they're saved and they don't love God's Word. I'm just telling you why I see Scripture. Whoever does the will of God, that is my brother and sister. That's the one that loves me. The one that loves me will do what? Will obey me. So I get excited when people go, man, I love God's word. I'm getting to desire. I don't know much about it, but I'm learning. I'm hungry and I'm thirsting for righteousness. And there's a great scripture here. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then let's get the last one. This sounds like I'm writing my book again. I wrote a book in 2010 called Neology. The next one's the knee mark. It, I like that, don't you? The knee mark. And 
when you can be assured, I think, that you're God's child, you have a passion for prayer. You, you pray, you talk, you listen, you intercede. You just spend time in His presence. And Val, I just want you to know you're here today, and I want you to know I was praying for you this whole past year as Dave was, you and Dave were separated. And I was praying for you as you went to school. I was praying for you to get a job. And I just feel like today I'm looking at a culmination of a lot of my prayers being answered, man. You're back with your family. And, uh, man, it's just, it's, it's just awesome. And this job you walk into the mo- in the morning, I think that's an answer prayer, isn't it? And so, church, what kind of uh, knee marks are we making as believers in Christ? Oh, let's, let's make our mark on the kingdom. Let's pray. Let's, let's continue to study God's word together. So, uh, I kind of had to accelerate, but, man, my time's up. Man, I've loved being with you. Hey, that's Mark chapter 3. Guess where we're going to be next week? You're right, chapter 4. Go ahead and read ahead, and you'll be ready. And see what God teaches you. And if you get an insight this week that you just can't stand it, email me, call the office and tell Cheryl, Cheryl, get Pastor Keith. I heard from God. God spoke to me through his word. That'd be awesome. I'd love to hear. Let's pray. Lord, It's good to be in your house with your kids. It's good to be in your presence. And, Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that we would take these words of the apostles, we'd take these words of disciples, but we would take the living word of God for ourselves. And I pray that we would receive it by faith and be rooted in your scripture and then overflowing with thankfulness and righteousness. Jesus Christ, make us like you. Give us a heart for you, God, that hungers. Feed us, God, your word. And give us courage to obey and to walk in the scriptures. So, God, I pray this week people will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, I pray this prayer. And all God's people said, amen.